This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Welcome back to the Paddle and Fin Podcast Network. We're brought to you by Pelican Built Tough. For all situations, go to pelican.com. Yak Gadget. For all your fine kayak fishing accessory needs, go to yakgadget.com. Eastport Marina on the beautiful shores of Dale Hollow Lake. For all your lodging, kayaking, and fishing needs, go to eastport.info. Now let's get this show started. Welcome back to another episode of Bass Fishing for Noobs here on the Paddle and Fin Podcast. I am your host, Sean Lavery. And I'd like to welcome all the listeners back uh, for another exciting episode. Uh, first, uh, one thing I wanted to go over, just a little housekeeping real quick. I wanted to say congrats to John Rapp for uh, taking the May uh, News Tournament, uh, running away with that. Uh, it was a tight race tour up and up at the end. Um, there was a lot of kind of shuffling in the top three. So it was kind of cool to see that. And uh, thanks for everybody who participated. Um, June is live as of this morning at 7 a.m. Uh, I guess 7 a.m., yeah. Uh, so if you are interested in getting in on the noobs tournament for June, make sure you go to um, tourneyx.com and sign up. I think the registration is open until tomorrow night. So uh, if you're interested in doing that, I think that we have 13 people so far when I checked last night. And um, I caught two fish today for, towards it. So definitely get out there and, uh, uh, you know, hit the water and see, see what you guys can do. So uh, that being said, <clears throat> uh, we'll get to the heart of the order and what we're came here tonight for. So um, about a month ago, uh, maybe a little bit longer, I had put a post out on the Best Fishing for Noobs Facebook page asking for uh, show topic ideas and what you guys wanted to hear uh, about. And one of the things that I got, even though we are Best Fishing for Noobs here, um, we do occasionally stray from the bass topic and um, try and cover some other things. And one of the requests that I got was for a uh, pan fishing episode. And uh I, I'm a lover of all fish, you know, the tug is my drug. So if it's a small creek chub, uh, kind of tugging on the end of my line, I'm just as happy as if I have a 40 inch striper or whatever. Um, I, I love all fish. 
there's no fish too small that uh, doesn't get my heart going. So um, that being said, I wanted to, uh, I, I kind of thought about who I could have on uh, that would be a good or a good guest to talk about panfish. And I really only came up with one good guy and I was like, I, I have to have Ethan back on. So um, welcome back to the show, Ethan, uh, from Online Outdoorsman. So how are things? Things are good, but I am so calling BS on what you just said. Just to be clear, I love creek chubs too. But there's <laughs> no chance that I would rather catch, or I'm, I'm not just as happy with a small creek chub <laughs> as a 40-inch striper. So, Sean, I'm calling BS on you. I think you're okay. off. You know, you, you really got to watch yourself there. There is There may be a little shenanigans going on there, but I'll tell you what. When uh, in the middle of January or uh, February when I'm taking the dog for a walk and all our lakes are frozen over and the only water I have to fish is the small little creek that I pass. I'll take my little tiny ultralight rod and with a tiny little uh, jig head. And uh, when I catch a creek chub, I'm like, ah, thank you. It's a fish. Okay. It might be February, but so that is where my creek, creek chub love comes from. So, Hey man, I love creek chubs too. So I, I appreciate <laughs> the shout out. Nobody talks about those fish, but they can be fun to catch. So that, that's cool that you catch them. Yeah. Yeah. So um, welcome back. I know it's been a little bit. Um, uh, Ryan was best still on the show when we had you on last. I think we still use Skype and, instead of StreamYard. So uh, we've grown as a podcast, and I know you've uh, definitely grown in, in the things that uh, you have going on. So um, for the folks who didn't catch you the first time around or might not be familiar with your YouTube show or channel or, or your, your company, why don't you just let the folks know a little bit about who you are, how you got started, and kind of uh, what all you're into. Yeah. Well, I'll try not to be too terribly uh, long-winded here, but yeah, my name is Ethan. I live in Southwest Michigan. I grew up originally in Kansas, but I was always a bass fisherman my whole life. I, I really got into tournament bass fishing a lot in high school and college. And so bass is really at the heart of who I am as an angler. But here recently over the last, I would say five to seven years, I've started to get a lot more into ultralight fishing and I, I have a YouTube channel, as, uh, as you mentioned, Online Outdoorsman, and I like to just share my experiences, share my stories and that sort of thing. And so as I've grown with YouTube and all that sort of thing, I've just become more and more in love with ultralight fishing. So I like to share that. And that, that's kind of become my wheelhouse. And so a few years ago, I launched a company called Mule Fishing, and it's all about, you know, basically ultralight fishing gear and light line fishing gear um, from jig heads to plastics. Um, and it's really catering to multi-species anglers. So whether you're targeting, you know, bluegill and crappie, or if you like some bass, you like some trout, you know, these are really baits designed around multiple species. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what I do. I, I make a bunch of YouTube videos, I fish, um, and I, I happen to have a company. But aside from that, I'm just a, a normal dude, family guy. I've got a, a son that's about 10 months old uh, now, and then uh, my wife. So we are keeping our you know, we've got plenty on our plates. We're busy and uh, it's fun. I, I feel like I'm never bored. <laughs> <laughs> and I hate to tell you, man, it only gets busier, man. When they, especially when they start moving and you're, they're mobile and you, they're not, you can't just sit them there and like, Hey, uh, he was right there. Where'd he yeah, go? He's starting to get there. He's not <laughs> quite walking. He can walk along furniture, but he hasn't quite figured out the whole walking in open land. So I, I think that'll be only a month or so. We'll see. That's when the fun and games really start. And that, that's sure. when the, you get to that, that scary quiet, you know, wait, why haven't I heard anything for a little bit, you know? Yeah. 
he I, I, I could talk about him all day but i know that this is about fishing so i will spare <laughs> people the stories about him well cool and I, I i wanted to preface this episode by saying we are going to talk about panfish but um i don't want to say that uh mule jigs are panfish only like you said it is a multi-species uh uh bait uh and system and i i can totally attest to that because i uh, trout season this year, I took it with me and did great on trout. And just this last weekend, um, I went to a new lake up. My in-laws bought a new place uh, in uh, northern Pennsylvania, about 10 minutes from the New York border. And I was just, uh, I was up there for Memorial, Memorial Day weekend and was kind of hopping around to, they have a lot of little lakes up there. And I was hopping around kind of looking to see what I could find. Um, and the, the mule jig totally saved my butt on so many of those small bodies of water because I was struggling to find bass and I was talking to people on the shore. Do you know if there's bass in here? And, you know, um, I kept just, you know, not having any luck on my big bass lures. And so after a while, I just gave up and I'm like, I just want to catch something. I want to catch fish. And so I uh, tied on a mule jig and um, the donkey tail. I didn't have any of the new ones, which I want to give you a chance to talk about because they look really cool. Um, but, um, I tried on, tied on the trusty donkey tail, which worked well for me with trout. And lo and behold, I started smacking crappie and bluegill left and right. So, um, what I thought was kind of dead water was definitely not, it just, there's no bass in there, but there was tons and tons of crappie and bluegill and sunfish. So, um, it, it definitely changed my, uh, my fishing this last weekend, uh, gave me, you know, that the tug, my drug that I needed and was lacking. So um, I wanted to just talk a little bit about um, if you were going to out, out to specifically target that, is there anything that you do differently um, than if you were, say, bass fishing? Uh, I don't know. Did they Targeting panfish? Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm probably, I'm, so as I mentioned, I'm a, I'm a bass fisherman at heart, right? So that's what I grew up with. That's what my comfort zone is. And as I've as I'm learning, quite honestly, I'm still not what I would consider a panfish expert. There's a ton to learn about the species. And that's part of their, well, these species, I should say, crappie, bluegill, you know, pumpkin seed, the list goes on. There's so much to learn about them. And I think that's what draws me into them so much is what I'm realizing is they are oftentimes just as complex, if not more complex than bass. And so for me, um, I've because I'm such a bass fisherman at heart, I tend to fish very similar to how I do bass, but I just downsize and micro things. And that's really what was at the heart of the design of a lot of the mule fishing gear that's offered. It's basically like micro Ned style heads and then, you know, high durability, high stretch material plastics um, that are designed in smaller forms, right? So I tend to actively fish for, for bluegill as well as other sunfish and then also crappie what I mean by that is I cover a lot of water. Um, I do a lot of, you know, drifting plastics the same way I would a Ned rig. I twitch them a lot. I love to skip under docks, shoot it under docks, um, you know, that sort of thing. But obviously just like bass, you know, these fish are all seasonally, there's differences, right? You know, for me, I'm in Michigan. So in the winter, that's obviously more of an ice fishing play, but elsewhere, if you're in the South and maybe the fish are in colder season you're probably going to fish vertical for them whether that be you know in a kayak or on the front of a boat or whatever you know fishing right on top of fish jigging them um 
Whereas on the flip side, you know, during the summer, they're going to be kind of like bass. They're going to be shade oriented. They're going to be deeper water oriented and structure oriented. Um, so I found that there are tons of similarities across different species. There's just little different intricacies, I guess I'll say, from each species to the next. Because usually most species kind of have their way of relating to cover. And they're not all going to stockpile in one area most of the time. Bass will be here. Crappie will be here. Bluebee will be here. Yellow perch over here. Northern pike roaming over here, right? They're all kind of utilizing different areas of the water. Um, so that's kind of what I'm continuing to learn on. And that's kind of my style of fishing. So certainly happy to go deeper in any way, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I was kind of curious about that because I kind of was thinking to myself, well, some of these or a lot of these species are forage for bass. So yeah. if you're finding bass, you might not find these fish as much because they probably don't want to be right where the bass are as much. Well, and it's funny you mentioned that though, because in some cases, yes, but in other cases, no. I mean, a bluegill is a huge forage for bass to an extent. If after they get about five inches long, it's very rare to find a bass. Even a, you know, an eight pounder is not going to be going after a lot of those big, big bluegill. Those big okay. bluegill have, you got to remember, they have big dorsal fins. They're, that's a mean thing to eat. Like, I wouldn't want to try to eat that thing just straight up. I mean, I got a pretty big mouth, but you know, large mouth, obviously they have a big mouth. They can, can pick and take in a big meal and you know, they're opportunistic feeders. So they're obviously going to go after some of those fish, but the bigger bluegill, you know, I wouldn't, I don't think they're worried at all about being next to a big bass because they just don't get preyed on the same way as those, those smaller ones. I've seen plenty of pictures of bass choking on, you know, big bluegill like that. So, you know, that does yeah. make sense. Right. But, but yeah, they, you know, they either learn their lesson or, you know, there is a lot smaller forage for them to probably easier forage for them to get. Well, yeah. But, you got to remember like that you know, fish are very, they, they are a lot smarter than sometimes we get them credit for, you know, they're probably dumber than sometimes we get them credit for too. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, they, they know, some things and they, they kind of know what their ideal meal is. They want to basically expend the least amount of energy for the most amount of calories, right? It's like, do I want to go to McDonald's drive through and, and grab a cheeseburger? Or do I want to literally go hunt, you know, a wild animal and, you know, we're, we're Americans. We want the cheeseburger at McDonald's. You know, there's a select few people going out there and hunting and they're literally, you know, they're putting all the energy into it. And I respect the heck out of those people. But bass are the same way. They don't want to go chase down an eight-inch bluegill, try to eat it head first, have dorsal spines going straight in their upper jaw. They'd rather eat two four-inch bluegill that are a whole lot easier to take mm -hmm. down. Um, but that's my perspective. So anyways, I, I don't want to deviate too much from the subject. Um, I guess my point is, is that those bigger panfish, I think, once they get to a certain size, they're much less of a prey, and they're so much more of a alpha of a sport fish and they act they got that you know that feel to them like just the same thing with bass fishing and i'm going to do a lot of drawing parallels with bass fishing here I, I think since this is a bass fishing podcast i think that'll help um you know just the same thing as you might it takes a certain level of skill and effort to catch a five pound bass because they're smarter they got that big for a reason same right. thing goes into a 10 inch bluegill same thing goes into a 14 inch crappie Right. That, that definitely makes sense. And, um, you know, that it's just as much of a, uh, what, what, what should I say? A trophy fish when you, when you find something like that, because you're right, like they don't get that big by being dumb. You know, you know, that's not to say occasionally you'll look into one just kind of having an off day or 
extra hungry or something. And but uh, you generally have to know at least somewhat what you're doing or be in the right area doing the right things to to try to you know kind of land those bigger fish like that. Yeah. Um, and you know I've uh, you know a couple of the fish that I caught a couple of the crappie that I caught on that mule jig were it made me feel good because I'm like you know what I. I, you know, when I first started throwing it, I'm like, hmm, am I doing this right? But then when I started catching some of those bigger crappie, and it was interesting too, because I, there was a ton of people shore fishing at this lake. I was the only kayak out on the lake. So I had kind of all of the middle water to myself. Nice. And, but I passed a ton of people on the shore and they kept saying, oh, these fish keep stealing my worms. They're just taking the worm right off my hook. And I used probably two uh, donkey t- uh, tails the whole time I was out there. I, I didn't lose them. They didn't come off. Um, I think I got one stuck on a, a something underwater and broke it off. But other than that, that was the only thing that, uh, only reason I lost it. And, um, it just, it was funny that these people were using live bait. were having much more trouble catching fish than I was. So, and you know, it's funny. I... The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history designed by John Browning. The 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U S military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, MidwayUSA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. I appreciate you mentioning that. And, you know, for those of you that don't, because I obviously didn't go super deep on on the mule fishing side of things, you know, as I mentioned, they are a, a high stretch, high durability. So if you're familiar with some of the other like stretchy plastics on the market, you know, these aren't a typical, you know, plastisol. They are that higher stretch um, material. And so what happens is the reason I really, really wanted that was because no one else was doing it for the the, the panfish market. And um, so I, you know, busted my butt and I made something happen. And we, we've got basically this, these smaller plastics that are designed specifically for multi-species and a huge, huge part of that is panfish focused. And the reason I felt it was so key is because bluegill and crappie and these other panfish are notorious for doing exactly what you just said. They, you know, whether it's live bait or soft plastics, they grab and they rip and they shake their head and they're violent and you can go through a whole pile of plastics in a hurry and that's pretty wasteful and it, you know, it doesn't, you know, cost you a lot of money. And then from a bait standpoint, yeah, I mean, you're just, you're feeding them, which is great because they get bigger, but you're not catching the fish necessarily. So this, I've been extremely impressed with these. And I actually was just in the, uh, the boat with my friend Bill the other day. And he was telling me, he said, you know, in years past when I would bluegill fish, you know, bed fishing for bluegill, which we'll definitely talk about at some point. Um, he said, you know, I would go through a red you know a red worm on every bite not every fish every bite and it took so much time to catch these fish because i'm constantly re-rigging so the amount of productivity on the water has gone up wildly he said i've caught more fish on this trip than i ever have in years past and it's just the efficiency so he's able to unhook the fish the same way he does a bass 
you know, on a flipping jig, throw it back, flip it back in, you know, and you're not constantly re-rigging. And so that's where with those higher stretch, higher durability plastics that I offer with Mule, it's been extremely productive for anglers, but also um, they hold up longer. So anyways, that's my little pitch. <laughs> I can totally attest to that too, because I <clears throat> totally experienced that this weekend. Uh, I can 100% support that that is true. Um, and I think, you know, some of these panfish do tend, I don't know how much they are more schooling than bass are. I know sometimes bass do kind of t tag team and, you know, if you get them all in a frenzy, you can catch a bunch. But I think that's especially true for panfish sometimes, you know, oh, yeah. when you when you see crappie on, on a graph, they're usually stacked vertically. And that's about know, as schooling of a fish as you can find. I mean, crappie, yes. They school up like wild. So I that when you're using that kind of bait where it's something where you can pull it up, pop it right out, go right back in, it's going to, you know, going to be way more efficient than, uh, you know, having to re-rig a worm every time you're you're trying to drop back in there. Um, yeah, so. and I think, it, I just think that, I think a lot of people are getting more into light line fishing and pan fishing in general. And that, that's probably why you got this recommendation, this recommendation to this episode is because it's becoming more popular. It's more fun um, to start targeting some of these fish because like you said, sometimes the bass don't cooperate, but you still like to bass fish and actively fish and you just want to downsize and just catch something. And that's kind of the thought process behind, you know, this style of gear. Um, it's just, you're basically like bass fishing, except you're just making everything a lot smaller and you just happen to be catching other species. But, oh, by the way, you will catch some big bass along the way, which is always a, an absolute hoot. Oh, yeah, especially on the ultralight stuff. When you catch a big bass, that's, that's crazy. Can't beat it, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, um, you, you mentioned bed fishing. Um, you know, that's one of the things that I really like about panfish too is because um, a lot of times, you know, there are times where I've seen, you know, bedding bass and I'm able to spot them, but my eyes aren't that good. But for whatever reason, I can see bluegill beds better. I don't know what it is, if it's just they're shallower or uh, what it is. But like just this weekend, I saw a ton. And um, the the lake that at the uh, Christian camp that I counsel at over the summer, there it's known as like the sunny capital of the world. So or some fish capital of the world. So I've seen, you know, the whole shallow end of that lake is just bed heaven at certain times of the year and, it, and they will not like you can actually reach down and touch them they will not move off that oh, bed. they're, they're kind that of sounds like my kind of party right there i <laughs> i think i would have a lot of fun in that lake <laughs> no it's uh it's definitely it's definitely a good time so um uh so is there a difference when you're you're looking for bedfish uh in in panfish species or you know, I'm still learning, but quite honestly, I would say there's a lot of similarities with bass. You know, that just like bass, they're going to look for those harder bottom areas. They don't want to be in the mucky stuff, you know, and I'm, I'm talking to both crappie and bluegill here. Um, and when I say bluegill, and just, just know I'm talking about pretty much all sunfish, and you know, there's slight differences. Um, but for the most part, you know, sunfish as well as crappie, they're looking for sunlight. They're looking for a little bit sandier or a little bit harder bottom, maybe a little gravel. Um, they like cover. I would say crappie more than anything. They're going to want some wood in the water if they can have it. If there's wood available, if there's timber, trees, brush piles, they're going to love that. They're going to gravitate towards that. Um, but then bluegill, you know, bluegill are just, you find a nice shallow sandy bank that has a lot of sun throughout the day. And then, like you said, Sean, they're a lot easier to see than bass beds. And the reason is, is because 
bluegill beds tend to be anywhere from, you know, maybe it's five, 10 feet across, but it also might end up being 40 feet across. And what I mean by that is I'm not saying there's one bed that's 40 feet across. I'm saying there's a whole pile of beds. And so they bed up and colonized. And it's crappie kind of do the same thing, just not to the same extent. Um, I've found little clusters of fish. So you kind of need to go look for numerous clusters of fish has kind of been my experience. Um, but bluegill and sunfish, specifically bluegill, they'll, they'll be really balled up in these massive colonies. And if you're lucky, you might just find 50 fish all spawning in one area. And, you know, a couple things that I do want to say here. Number one, you know, this is the time of year that they are reproducing. So just like bass, you know, let's try to give all species of fish the same level of respect. Um, I'm not saying you shouldn't catch them. I, absolutely, I'm advocating to catch them, but just make sure you're paying them that same level of respect. Um, I would say that you know, there's a lot of culture with sunfish and panfish in general of catch and keep. And I'm not gonna tell you not to keep fish, but what I would say is I'm always gonna be an advocate for responsible harvest of fish and i believe that keeping fish off of beds is probably not the best way to go about things if you do it to an extent it's okay but i would just say like at the bare minimum if you can return the big bad males back to the system what you're going to do by doing that is create an environment where you're going to have bigger bluegill for years to come and that kind of goes with the same for most species, right? You would probably never catch a five pound female bass off of a bed and throw her in a frying pan because that five pound bass is then going to create more future generations of five pound bass. And that's good for the system. Same thing goes for bluegill. So bluegill are a little bit funny. I'm going to go off on a tangent here, but bluegill are really, really, really interesting. And I've talked about this on my YouTube channel. It's incredibly interesting because this species of fish they can either allocate, the male bluegill can either allocate their energy, what they take in from caloric intake. They can either go towards reproductive, you know, basically efficiencies, like being able to reproduce quickly. Um, but what happens is those bluegill, those male bluegills are going to be really small. Okay. Or they can allocate their energy to getting big, getting bad, turning into that big alpha male bluegill. And so that's kind of what you want. It's going to take them longer few more years potentially to get to sexual reproduction, like being able to reproduce, but they're going to be bigger. So what the fisheries biologists have found is that if there's big bluegill in the system, more of the other male bluegills are going to allocate their energy to becoming big because they want to compete for those good beds. They want to compete to reproduce. Whereas if you're pulling the big ones out, more of the male bluegills are going to turn into these little squeaker males and they're going to allocate their energy to reproductive abilities. And so what's going to happen is if you keep doing that, if people keep taking male bluegills off beds, they're freeing up space for these squeaker males and you're killing off the potential of this fishery for years to come. I mean, it takes something drastic to overturn an overpopulated bluegill fishery. And so again, I know I went off on a little tangent there, but I just have to do it because I'm extremely passionate about it. I'm never going to tell someone they can't keep fish. All I'm advocating for here is just thinking about the greater good of the fishery and keeping fish in the right time of year and potentially keeping the right type of fish, if that makes sense. No, that makes perfect sense. Uh, <clears throat> and like you said, it, if you just go into it with the same mindset that you would with bass, and we've had that conversation on uh, th this, to this topic come up on this show before too. And I'm a big proponent of that, you know, not necessarily that you can't fish or uh, during that time or actually even target fish on beds, but you know, if you catch a huge female, get it back in the water as soon as possible, you know, yeah. and, and that kind of thing. So 
I, I definitely uh, echo that sentiment as well. You know, there's nothing to say you can't catch them or even keep some, but definitely, you know, keep in mind the, the conservation aspect of it. And, yeah, uh, fish harvest uh, can be a wonderful thing, just to be clear. It can be a wonderful thing. Like, there's plenty of times where we probably should be keeping more bass than we do as, right. as a culture. We don't, right? <laughs> so, I'm, again, it's, it's all maintaining the, the relationship with the fishery according to what's going on. If there's just a ton and ton of bluegill, you probably should keep some. And, you know, that's probably one that has been unfortunately mismanaged. But if there's not as many and there's big, big males in the system, I'd be keeping those males in there. Um, keep the females, put the males back. It's a little different than, you know, bluegill are kind of funny because the males are the big, the big males are the important ones. Whereas like with bass, it's probably the big females are probably more important. So it's, right. it's, funny. it's a little bit of a flip, you know, flip flop there. Right. So odds are, if you are catching a big uh, bluegill, then it odds are it is a male. Is that generally? Off of the bed, usually, because they're the ones guarding the beds. Um, but yeah, I mean, females can get big too. They, they, you can, you know, I'd say it's probably a little more common to see people catching big males though, just because they're probably a little bit easier to catch and they probably get a little bigger on average. Okay. Um, and how about crappie? What's, uh, what are crappie, uh, like, is that, is that similar? If you catch a big crappie, is it male or is that? No, I, you know, what I've, what I've done in my research is it seems like there's not a lot of variation in size from, you know, the two, um, sexes there. So I think female and male get similar size. That, that being said, you know, males are going to be the ones that are protecting the nests, just like bats, right? They, they're, it's always the male protecting the best, the, the, the nest. Um, so, um, crappie are really cool though. I, I love anytime you're, you're catching male crappie off beds, especially like black crappie, which is what we have up here in Michigan. And I know probably a lot of people that listen to this, probably several of you are from the Southern part of the country and there's probably more white crappie in your area, but for black crappie, at least, man, when they get on beds, they are so pretty. They like are almost pitch black. You know, they, they say they got their tuxedos on is kind of a saying. Um, and they really do look nice, but yeah, I would say there's a lot of similarities from my experiences and they're going to be really aggressive. They're going to guard that bed like crazy. And so, um, and they ball up and there's, you know, there's a good bit of fish usually in an area. So you can catch a whole pile of fish and, and have a lot of fun in a hurry. I, I do believe that crappie, um, generally speaking, if you've got a body of water with a lot of crappie in it, I think they can sustain a little bit more harvest, um, based on what I've heard so far. But again, I don't, I wouldn't consider myself a crappie expert. I'm just based on what I've heard and read, I believe crappie can probably sustain a little bit more harvest than some of the other species. Okay. No, that, that makes sense. Um, I, I'm definitely not a crappie expert either. I know what to look for on my fish finder and I can usually say, yeah, I think those are crappie. And yeah, and usually they're kind of hard to catch is my experience. I mean, especially during the heat of the, the summer, you know, but I think they're kind of an interesting species because they feed a lot more in low light situations. So um, a lot of people like to target those fish in the evenings. So if you have the ability to fish in the evenings, you know, maybe you got kids, you put your kids to bed and you're able to sneak out for an hour. I'd say you kind of taking, taking that last light part of the day, there's a lot of times a great way to catch them in the heat of the year. Um, after they get off their beds. That's what I've read. Um, and I've, that's been certainly my experience in some of the trips. Um, but I'm still, I'm, I've got a goal this year of becoming a better crappie angler through the, the summer. So I'm hopeful that throughout the, the summer, as I'm making some videos, you guys can hopefully follow along and see hopefully some, you know, heat of the day crappie action. We'll see. 
<laughs> Fingers crossed, huh? <laughs> Absolutely. No, that would be cool. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I'm, I'm continually amazed that certain people obviously know what they're doing. Like I, there was one time I was on my local lake and I was bass fishing around and I saw this guy kind of go right out. Like he's, he, he was on a mission. He went right out to this spot, stopped dead in the water and then just dropped. And he was vertically jigging and it was crappie after crappie, just boop. Brush pile. Boop. Yeah. I was like, what the heck? Yeah. He knew like exactly where that was. And, and, you know, I, you know, after he went out, left the area, I went over there and, and tried. I don't think I had anything kind of crappie jig like and i couldn't catch anything i was like what the heck yeah that's what you're uh, it, man that's a <laughs> that's a, that's fishing culture 101 like, oh, there's a guy catching a bunch of oh he just left let me just go mark this on my graph <laughs> well i don't know that i had a, gra a graph yet at that point i still have a general idea where it is and now that i have um uh, a better fish finder i should probably stop back there and just see what's there and you know yeah. you know, that's exactly. I will say, yeah, with panfish and especially crappie, I would say, you know, electronics are going to be helpful. I would say probably even more so than in bass in a lot of cases, especially crappie. And that's where I'm super jealous of these people that have boats. You know, I obviously fish out of a kayak as well. Very jealous of these people that have boats and their <laughs> live scope and all those fancy electronics because, man, for crappie fishing, that's next level. And uh, it takes a lot of the you know, you still have to be extremely skilled to locate those fish and fish those fish, but, but it takes a lot out of it from like a confusion standpoint, you know, you're able to see what the heck's going on. Right. Uh, well, and especially we, like, and, and I mean, you've done videos with your, uh, with ice fishing even too, where you, it's pretty much video game fishing, you know, you yeah. see your line go down and you jigging it and you see something come up to it and whoop. And about 90% so, of the time they come up to it and then they turn around and go back to the bottom. And <laughs> that is about enough to drive you crazy. <laughs> well, the ice fishing is a whole nother episode that we'll have to do at some point, because that is something I've never had the experience of doing. I've, I've heard a ton about it here in Pennsylvania. We don't always get thick enough ice to go out on last year. We right. actually did for once, but um, it's one of those things, you know, I always say I'll, I'll buy ice fishing gear and then we won't have ice for four years, you know? Yeah. So honestly, it's like, if we ever happen to be in the same area, you know, if I'm ever out that way or something, just have to make sure you let me know. I'll just bring some of my stuff. I ended up, you know, it's funny where, when ice fishing is a thing locally, you know, if it's a bigger part of fishing, I feel like you can get a rod and rail for ice fishing so cheap. I mean, I've, so I ended up buying more stuff than I need. Now I've got a bunch of stuff where it's like, man, if I was driving out your way, I would just bring one and just drop it off. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, so. Well, I, sh I should hop on, uh, you know, Craigslist and stuff and look around because I'm uh, sure that's perfect. Find something yeah. new. Yeah. 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 For sure. So, um, so at, while we're on the topic of gear, I thought that would be a, a one good thing to talk about. Uh, what sure. kind of gear? I know um, BFS is getting huge, and that's something that you've talked about on your channel a lot. Um, but that's not everything. I mean, you're when you say ultralight, uh, that can cover a lot of different, uh, a lot of different gear, right? Yeah. So, you know, BFS is a whole deal altogether. You know, technically BFS is basically bait finesse system, bait finesse style. That's a, that's a bait caster. It's a finesse bait caster. It's a bait caster capable of, you know, casting, you know, potentially one thirty second ounce, one sixteenth ounce weights and, and lighter line. Um, that being said, I don't think, I don't think that system is quite where it needs to be yet. Um, I think it's a lot more, difficult to get into and i believe that basically the cost of good gear 
is pretty outrageous and it's not exactly super available. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't really want to focus on BFS from that standpoint. I would say spinning gear is still what I feel is, you know, the, the better setup for 99% of people, one from an affordability standpoint, two from an efficiency standpoint, it's easier to use. And um, three from an availability standpoint, it's everywhere. You can get an ultralight at your local Walmart. You can get an ultralight at any local sporting goods store or any of your favorite online retailers. But you know, for those of you watching on the YouTube, you know, I'll, I'll show you kind of what I have. But for those of you, you know, listening, I'll obviously explain it as well. But you know, I've got numerous ultralight rods now because one of the things I like to do is I like to test ultralight rods and kind of get a feel for them. Um, that's kind of you'll see a lot of that on my channel if you happen to check it out. Um, but really what you're looking for, for, you know, I would say multiple species, multi-species pan fish, maybe a little bit of bass, maybe a little bit of trout. I'd say you want an ultralight rod. Um, so ultralight power. Um, I personally am a huge fan of a fast action. Like I said, I'm a bass fisherman at heart. I'm just always going to be a lot more comfortable with a fast action rod. Um, but a, a big part of that as well is because I fish a lot of jigs. And I think what you'll find is if you're starting to get into pan fishing, I would say jigs are, jigs are kind of where it's at. You know, you're going to fish some little micro crankbaits and jerk baits from time to time. And there's certainly some other rigs that work well, inline spinners. But for the most part, I think you're going to be using a single hook more often than you're going to be using trebles. So I would say a fast action for most anglers is probably what you want. Um, you know, I can tell you a couple of the rod type, like the rod brands I've liked. Um, but before that, I guess I should probably talk about a length. Um, just like bass fishing, right? You know, you choose longer rods when you maybe want a little more casting distance, when you're, when you want to pick up a little bit more line. Um, but you maybe choose shorter rods when you want a little bit more pinpoint accuracy, a little bit more portability. Maybe if you're fishing around a lot of, you know, trees, um, maybe if you're wade fishing in a creek, you know, a lot right. of people do that style of fishing. <clears throat> Not everybody has the, you know, access to a boat or a kayak. Um, and so sometimes wade fishing can be one of the most fun ways to fish. Honestly, you don't need to spend all that boat gas, you know, it's all that money on boat gas. So, um, so if you're going to do a lot of weight fishing, go with a shorter rod. If you're going to be doing a lot of, you know, fishing and you really, really want to get that distance out there, go with maybe my, more of a seven foot. But for me personally, after experimenting with lots of rods, I find a six foot is my happy place. I have used a lot of five foot rods. I've used a lot of five, six rods. I've used some seven footers. And I can tell you the six foot more consistently balances right than the longer rods but it also gives you enough length to move the line. And it's it just feels like a sweet spot for casting distance. And I think one of the things that rod companies don't do a super great job of at this time is really making a rod truly feel like an ultralight past the six foot length. There's so many seven foot rods that just, they get a little too whippy, they get a little too noodly and they're not as fast anymore. And then their, their balance is way off. Um, and I find that across a lot of the different brands. So. I can never find one that's seven foot that performs the same way these six foot rods do. I will certainly let you know, but for now I would say most of the ultralights available in the six foot length are, are usually pretty good. Um, Temple Fork is one that I really, really like. I don't have any affiliation with any rod company, so I'm just gonna tell you some of my favorites. Temple Fork is around the $100 price point. I feel it's an extremely versatile rod. Um, the Dobbins that I'm holding right here is probably $60, a little more pricey for an ultralight. And then if you're wanting to get into it for a little bit cheaper, the 13 Fishing Defy Silver, 50 bucks. And um, that's a super, super great jig rod. Um, it'll do everything you need it to for bluegill and other panfish. Um, so that's a, that's a great one as well. And then 
you know, if you're really on a budget, even the Shakespeare micro series available at Walmart, 20 bucks. I mean, next to nothing, right? So, so there's a lot of good options out there, but those are some of my favorites. Anyways, I just rambled at you. Sorry, man. I, I, no. I know I'm a long-winded son of a gun. No, that's okay. I was just writing down some of the things you mentioned because I like to throw it in the show notes just for folks to check out, you know, sure. so that they have links. So I like to keep notes while I'm doing this. Um, of I actually happen to have the Shakespeare Micro. Um, that's the, probably the most of what my ultralight stuff is. And Nothing for wrong being a, a dirt cheap rod, you know, it, it really, you know, works. I mean, that's when I, when I take the dog for a walk, that's generally what I, I take with me. And yeah, I think we overcomplicate that. And I will tell you, you know, this actually brings up a good point, dude. It, it's not about how much you spend on an ultralight, especially. I think for ultralights over any other type of rod, you don't need to spend as much. And the reason is so many of your bites are detected in the line. They're not even in the rod. So you can have the fanciest, most sensitive rod in the world. And so many of those bites you're going to see in your braided fishing line or your monofilament fishing line, or you're going to feel it in your line. Doesn't even matter. <laughs> so, so you don't, don't need to go overboard unless you like to go overboard, you know, you know, right. tell you guys how to spend your money by any means. But yeah, if you're, if, like you said, if you're just looking to get in, get started and see if it's something you like, you know, you can obviously build from there, but you know, you're going to be able to do pretty much everything you want with, with the cheap stuff. If you, so choose. So. Yeah, which I think it's it's so nice because it is a more it's a definitely an approachable way to fish, and you know that was part of the the thing with I know I'm just kind of going off on tangents here, but I hope it, it keeps the thing. That's fine. Yep. No, I think it's good. Yeah, I think part of the reason you know mule is the way it is is I felt like the fishing industry in general has become so technique specific and so species specific that it's to the point where it's not even approachable anymore. And, you know, if, if we as bass anglers, let's think about this, like think, put yourself in the shoes of someone just wanting to go turn into a bass fisherman and they've got a hundred dollars to spend. They just got a hundred dollar gift card to Cabela's or whatever. Imagine walking those aisles and saying, I've got a hundred dollars. I just want to go catch some fish. Like God, is that intimidating and frustrating yeah. because oh, yeah. we, we just overcomplicate the heck out of this. And so with mule, it's like, I'm trying to create a system where it allows people to catch numerous species of fish and for a fair budget and, you know, make it a little less complicated. So that's kind of, it's kind of at the heart of what mule stands for is let's simplify this thing. Let's make this more about just catching fish and having good times, making memories than making it about some fancy technique specific new lure, you know, to try to trade up people's dollars. Right. <laughs> so. Right. Right. We don't need to spend, we don't need another 20. Oh, last year it was $15. We just came out with a new one. It's 22 now. Last yeah. year, 22. We just came out with a new one. It's 37 now. <laughs> That's what we do. It's so. slightly bigger. So we're going to charge a little bit more, you know, we, we needed a, a middle size. We had a five and we had a nine, but we needed a seven. So. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so funny, man. It's like, it's so funny, but anyways, I shouldn't rag on anybody. No, no. It's and part, another part of that too, is I think when you're introducing people to fishing, and um, when you get to see that joy of just catching a fish, um, you know, and, and if you're targeting bass, you know, obviously that's fun too. And when they catch bass, then they're like, holy crap, look at that. That's, you know, <laughs> but they're, they are fun for sure. And that's, you know, why we do what we do and, um, you know, why I have a show here uh, every week and talk about catching bass. But um, I know when I took my kids uh, fishing the first time, first couple of times, I made the mistake of not necessarily 
I, I tried to get them bass right away. Mm. And when it didn't happen, it was almost the negative effect of what I wanted to accomplish. They're like, eh, I'm, not, I'm not sure I like fishing, you know, mm. whereas if you can take them out and catch something, even if it's, you know, uh, you know, bluegill or uh, even creatures, you know, catching something will keep them more interested than, you know, occasionally catching one huge bass, you know, or, or something bigger, you yeah. know, just in my experience. So when you're introducing someone to fishing, I think it's a great way to introduce them to fishing because, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like your odds of success are, are better or are a little higher. Um, so um, I, I think that's also another great aspect of, of, pan fishing is that you know it's it's a fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish it's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home it's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever and with fishing booker you can experience it too no matter where you are Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's a gateway drug, if you will. <laughs> of course, yeah. I mean, panfish are wildly abundant, right? Bluegill is probably the most abundant species we've got. So they're pretty much everywhere. So most, most anyone can target them. They're a shoreline-oriented species, so you can fish for them right from the bank, um, and they're aggressive as heck. And so, you know, they're, they're not necessarily always a hard fish to catch. You know, as I mentioned before, those bigger ones, they get to be a little smarter and they're maybe a little less frequent, you know, frequently caught. And it takes a little bit more skill and knowledge to, to get in front of those fish. But just catching fish, pan fish is about as easy as it gets and it's it's wonderful. And I think that people like myself and people like you and we we don't have time. We have time is such a precious resource. What I'm finding is the older I get, the less time I have. And, you know, maybe someday eventually I'll retire. Who knows? Maybe all of a sudden I'll have plenty of time. And by that point, I'm just going to be sitting out in a canoe. I'll be a 70-year-old man with long gray hair. I'm going to be catching a bluegill on every cast because what I've learned by that point is that bluegill are just fun. But the point is you might have an hour to fish. Do you really think you're going to break down that body of water and figure out the bass pattern in an hour? You might not. So not the worst thing in the world to go out there and target a few bluegill while you got the chance. Absolutely not. No, you're right. And uh, the, the, I'm learning the same thing. And uh, the more time I spend – I, I want to make it quality time. And, you know, it's as frustrated as I get when I spend so much time trying to catch a bass and come home skunked. And I always think, oh, I should have just, you know, you know, brought out, brought, brought out something different and, and just ca caught whatever I could catch, you know? And, um, it's, it's definitely something I'm learning as I go along. Uh, and, uh, it's not the easiest lesson to learn for me, but it's definitely, um, something like this past weekend, you know, uh, I was having a rough go of it and then ended up having a great afternoon after I finally uh, just went with what I was seeing. And I was like, you know what? I, I can see bluegill here and I can see beds there. I know I'm going to catch stuff. So I just broke out the mule jig and the donkey tail and, you know, went to town and, and 
uh, like I said, when I got back to uh, the house, they're like, well, how'd you do? I was like, oh, man, I did awesome. I called, look at these pictures. And I was just, you know, cycling through on my phone, showing them picture after picture. And uh, I definitely think there's something to that for sure. Yeah. And I, I mean, I want to be clear. It's like, I, I still love bass so much. Right. And it's like, ultimately I said, I'm still going to go out there and I'm going to, there's going to be days where I want to go out there for eight hours and only fish bass. And I love that. But you know, what I've found is a lot of the people that watch my videos, you know, a lot of them are just like me. They love bass fishing. That's kind of their, their number one. Um, but what they like to do is they'll bring one ultralight with them. They might have their three bass setups. They might have mostly bass tackle, but they've got that little box with some, you know, ultralight cheat codes, you know, some mule fishing jigs. <laughs> and they've got that one ultralight. And when they're having a tough go, they're two hours in and they're just not having that success. They say, you know what? I'm going to take a quick break here. And I'm just going to let myself get distracted by ultralight fishing. And all of a sudden they salvage their day and they say, I went home a little bit happier because I was able to put something together, catch a few fish. And even if it's just a quick break and you get back to bass fishing, that's fine. But sometimes it's like, we need to recognize, we need to remember why we're out there in the first place. So um, it's, it's not always about catching the biggest baddest bass. And, and for me, I, I used to be that mentality, but I think now it's, I'm so much happier with this. This is, I just have so much fun with it. So <laughs> I, I was going to say that that is one thing that uh, when I first kind of got into this, I would get frustrated so often and I really had, to, I, and I, so many people have told me that just remember why you're out there. You're out there to have fun. And when it, when you find yourself not having fun, that means you need to change what you're doing or change your, your mental thinking about that because um, the, I used to get so frustrated and so mad and come home so angry that I'm like, oh, what did I just waste four hours of my life doing, you know? And, um, <laughs> and, uh, it, it, my ask, my attitude has totally changed now. Uh, and, uh, you know, but it, it was a hard lesson to learn for some reason. Uh, maybe yeah. I'm just stubborn or, you know, well, it brings up a good point. I mean, so I obviously love social media, right? We both love social media because we both do this thing. Like this is kind of like a side, you know, hustle, a little passion of ours on the side but we cannot spend all of our time on social media it is important to to create balance in our lives and i will advocate for that till the day i die i don't think it's healthy to sit on instagram and stare at everything everybody else is catching all day because what that's going to do is that's going to potentially make you have a worse trip next time so you're going to go out there you're not going to catch fish and you're going to say god i'm just so frustrated with this sport uh, you know you you're, you've got this fear of missing out you see everyone constantly you see these highlight reels from people's lives that you've never met and then you go out there, and you don't, you have a tougher go at fishing, and then you think you suck. But it's like, no, you don't suck. You're in a totally different area, totally different day, totally different circumstances. Don't, don't be so hard on yourself. But I think my point there is really just like, you know, as great as social media is at connecting people and how cool this whole thing is, and this conversation would never have have happened without it. Just make sure you're creating balance in your life and and put things into perspective um because i think that truly is a, a huge portion of the reason sometimes we have those days where we're so frustrated and it's like i look back high school days when you know facebook was barely a thing and it's like when i went fishing and didn't catch anything i didn't go home like oh my gosh i'm so frustrated with it. <laughs> it wasn't you know and i just I, I would argue there's a lot of other people out there that would, would say the same no i i think that's really good advice i mean in life in general, just, uh, if not for fishing, but you know, people put on social media, what they want you to see. So they don't show you the hours of struggle that they have. So I love you to put small fish for a reason. <laughs> it's a little more relatable. Now it's not going to make me a YouTube star, but I'm going to have fun doing it. And I think that there's a, I think there's some good that comes out of that. 
I, I 100% agree. And uh, I think that's awesome. And I hope you keep it up because um, things need love too, man. Yeah, man. It's like, they're just, they're going to be future big ones. And then they, by that point, they'll have outsmarted me. But for now, I'm going to have fun with them. I'll say I caught them first when someone posts that picture of a five pounder. So I caught that first six years ago, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Who's got the real skill? I tricked them first. Uh, um, uh, one other thing you mentioned, uh, braided line, uh, monofilament. So um, line choice. Uh, what, how deep does that go? And And I know reels too. I know I wanted to quickly cover that. Generally, are we looking like 500 size or the real small reels? Actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be doing a video on this really soon. Um, but okay, yeah, cool. real size. Yeah, no, I, I'll, I'll go into a little bit more depth there. But for, for now, I would just say a size 1,000 is my absolute like favorite. And two reasons. Number one, it balances extremely well with these like six-foot rods, like I said. So it tends to balance well with most ultralights. Um, number two is those 500 size reels, I haven't had near as good of experience with them because they've got a narrower spool. So across the top of the spool, if you look at it, it's going to be a little narrow. It's going to be a little smaller, generally speaking. Mm. So what happens there is your line is wrapping tighter, right? It's, it's So you're going to have more memory with your line. It's also going to cast less effect, you know, effectively. It's not going to cast as far because it's on a tighter, more narrow spool. So that thousand size tends to be great. Um, the 2000 is also fine. So again, I'm, we're using Daiwa Shimano sizing, technically speaking, you know, Fluger, I think does like, I think a size 25 is the same as a thousand, but anyways, look at a size 1000 Daiwa or Shimano, and you can use, utilize that against different brands that use different systems. But, um, the point is, I, I, I think a thousand is good because it's got way more line capacity generally than you'll ever need. Um, but it's got the right size of spool and it balances well. Um, you know, one thing that I think is an actual opportunity is I think it'd be cool to see the fishing industry start to offer some more shallow spooled models, um, things that don't necessarily need to hold 200 yards of line, right. but still have the same wider spool. I think it would be a lot more effective for ultralight fishing. And unfortunately, at this point in time, that kind of stuff's mostly available in like JDM type stuff. Right. So anyways, um, but it doesn't have to be very complicated. You know, you can buy whatever price range you like. I, in whatever brand you like for me, I've, I've had a lot of success with Daiwa and Shimano, um, in $50 reels all the way up to $200 reels. Um, and then line to your point. Yeah. I think line is arguably one of the most important parts of the system, as I mentioned. Um, and I would say you don't have to spend an arm on the leg here, but I would, you know, it kind of depends on what you're looking to get out of it. So for me, I'm either braid or monofilament, and I like both. And I, I'm because I'm such an ultralight nut. I have numerous setups, so I'm gonna I'm gonna run both. But if I'm going only one, I would probably go with braid. Um, if you would ask me that about three four months ago, I probably would have said monofilament. But since using J braid a little bit more, Daiwa J braid, I've had extremely good success with this line. Um, certainly, you can use whatever braid you want, but. Power Pro is obviously great too. You know, I think uh, Suffix makes some good stuff. But um, Daiwa J Braid in the six pound test to me is a, is a great option. It's extremely low diameter. It's really smooth and it has virtually no memory. Um, it's offered in high visibility, which is really key. It's so crucial, especially when you're talking about that, something that low diameter. You want to be able to see that line. Um, and then I just would run a four pound monofilament leader is kind of what I've been doing. And you can use whatever mono you like. Um, for me, if I was to go straight mono or the mono that I use for my leader, 
I've had a lot of success with um, Trilene Sensation. I think it's technically a copolymer, but it's just, uh, it's real smooth. It's like $9 or $10 for a spool of 330 yards. I mean, come on, like that's, that's wonderful. And the reason I like monofilament more than fluoro, because I know a lot of people are bass fishermen here. Fluorocarbon, in my experience, anything less than six pound test has been extremely brittle. And I have, I've used some pretty high quality stuff, some good stuff. And it just, it has not given me the same experience as mono. I'm okay with getting a little bit higher. I'm okay with getting a little stretch. And the reason is with that ultralight equipment, with that six pound braid, or even straight, that stretch doesn't hurt anything. I, if anything, I think it sometimes helps a little bit. It offsets that cushions a little bit more. And um, it, it, it just... I, I just have had a lot more success personally. Again, gear at the end of the day is extremely preference oriented. So I'm never going to tell anyone what to use. These are my experiences. Cool. Cool. No, I, I definitely think that makes a huge difference. And, and uh, I guess with mono, a lot of times we're talking about, like you said, a single hook kind of presentation, not to say there isn't, you know, the, those tiny crankbaits like you were talking about and stuff. And that was one of the cool things about your channel that I really um, just seeing ba uh, trout hit some of those lures, I'm like, I never would have thought to even try that while trout fishing. And um, then watching you catch uh, trout on the, some of those lures, I'm like, oh my gosh, now I got to try that. But man, they trout are trout are cool. I I want to trout fish more. You know, I've got I've got limited water in my immediate area. Um, I can certainly within an hour of me, that's that's a different story. But I don't always have the ability to drive more than 30 minutes or so. So. But yeah, they're, they're, they're a cool species, you know, across the different varieties of trout. They're, they're cool. They're aggressive. And they're a lot more of a, you know, I think a lot of bass fishermen think trout and they think fly fishermen and they think tiny little fly. And it's like at the end of the day, in my experience with brown trout, man, that's like a smallmouth bass in a lot of ways. They're aggressive. <laughs> they're cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, and um, I, you know, as lucky as I am to live 50 minutes from the Susquehanna, I also live half an hour from the yellow breaches, which is a world-class trout fishery. So nice. um, it's, I kind of am lucky to, to live there, uh, to live here. And I've seen, uh, I've fished it a few times and done very well, but I've seen some huge trout come out of that, uh, that area. And they have like their own conservation society that is responsible for keep, uh, upkeep of that area. And so it, it's definitely a big thing and uh, something I should take advantage of more because it is so close and, um like you said there they can be just as fun uh yeah. you know so so i do want to say one thing just because i know that it was probably my fault in a, in a lot of cases throughout this episode i've probably gotten you off track a little bit i apologize i'm just a talker but um to reel it back in on pan fish i i just wanted to kind of go over um some basic tips just to get cool. people started um, right right so we've talked about gear we've talked about some seasonal tendencies we've talked about some bed fishing we've talked about um, some just interesting facts about him. But what we haven't really covered on is what do you just need to get started? What what should you look for? Um, and so I'll, I'll just go at a high level here. I think the beautiful thing, as I mentioned before, is most panfish are pretty shoreline oriented, or sunfish, I should say. You know, crappie will get off the bank and they tend to get a little deeper. So, you know, you may not have, they may be a little bit more complicated fish to get started with. So I'll, I'll direct these more so to sunfish. They're shoreline oriented, oriented species and they're called sunfish, so they like warm water. They're a warm water species for the most part. Um, so you're gonna find them up in a lot of like bassy type areas. You're gonna find them tucked up in vegetation. You're gonna find them around 
docks, you're going to find them. Um, just a lot of those same areas you're looking for bass, maybe just a little shallower in a lot of cases, or tucked up in a, on a weed bed, you know, an eight foot of water or whatever. But um, depending on your body of water, the general thing for me is, you know, I'm obviously very biased. Um, I own mule fishing, so that's the kind of gear that I typically use, but I'm not going to tell you, you got to use it. What you really, what I would say to get started with is get yourself some jig heads you're comfortable with. Um, lighter lighter jig heads tend to work best in my experience i usually use the lightest i can get away with so if i'm fishing super shallow water i'm gonna i'm gonna throw my 180th ounce mill jig or my 164th if i'm fishing a little more variety you know from one foot all the way down to 10 foot i might run the 132nd ounce right um, but i will tell you that that slow rate of fall is extremely deadly for pan fish in general because they are they typically feed up in the water column a lot of bass, a lot of times bass feed up in the water column too, right? We're pretty you know, used to that, the top water experience, the, you know, twitch in a, or like a Cinco or something like that under a dock. They're going to come up and eat it, not necessarily go down and eat it. Panfish are the same way. Um, so light jigs and small plastics and less than two inches, um, one to three inches, you know, crappie can be two to three inches, I would say. Um, bluegill and other sunfish, I'd say one to two inches. Um, sometimes even smaller if you want um those things will get you started if you want to fish a little bit more old school you can absolutely use worms under a bobber and there's nothing wrong with that and that is a fun way to fish um but i would say trim down that worm you don't need to use a big old chunk of worm you can use just a little bit just enough to give it a little wiggle and use a small hook you know maybe like a number 10 or a number eight I mean, these bluegill have small mouths so you have to remember that i think a lot of times there's not a lot of great options out there for the smaller mouth species. So that's kind of with mule, the, the jigs have, a, they feature small hooks for that reason, because they're kind of built around multiple species. Um, so yeah, I would say jigs and plastics would be my recommendation for especially bass fishermen looking to panfish because I think it's a lot in their comfort zone. Um, and then if you want to go just live bait, get yourself some small hooks, a couple split shots and a bobber and just go old school, man bring out your six-year-old self and go catch them. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. No, for sure. Um, I think, you know, that, I think that really is a pretty simple way to start. And it, there isn't a ton of, uh, you know, really, what do I say, a complicated technique of retrieve for those either. Right. You're, you're pretty much, um, it's, there's not a lot of wrong ways to do it. For the most yeah. Part. I mean, I, you know, We've, you've talked about the donkey tail. So this donkey tail junior, it's 1.6 inches. You know, I've got some other plastics too. We've got the mule minnow, which is a minnow shape. You know, it's a little bit, it was definitely crappie was a huge portion of the reason I came out with that, but it, it truly is a multi-species bait. I've got a 1.2 inch version, which has been wonderful for sunfish and bluegill. We've got the 2.2, which has been great for crappie. And then the 3.2, which is wonderful for big crappie as bass and, and probably going to be awesome on trout. I haven't tried it for trout yet. Um, but no matter which plastic I'm using, you know, whether it be a, this donkey tail junior or minnow or my horsefly, which is an insect style bait. Like I said before, at the beginning of this episode, it's, I like to fish these so similar to like a net rig and to other finesse plastics for bass, right? You, you, know, you have to adjust your retrieve based on the weight, right? If you're using something super, super lightweight, you might let it sink longer because it's going to take longer to sink. But generally speaking, I like to twitch them. I like to 
let them drift down to the bottom, twitch them up a couple times, let them drift down to the bottom. You know, I like to reel and twitch. I like to reel and pause. I mean, you can do a thousand different things. There's really no wrong way to do it. For me, it's like I typically fish my situation. It, it depends on what how the fish are acting. If they're eight inches under the surface, I'm probably not going to let it sink very long. I'm going to kind of keep it high. Right. If you're sitting in 10 foot of water on a, a grass edge, you know, if there's big bluegill off a grass edge and 10 foot of water and I got clear water, I'm going to let that thing get down there a little bit. And then I'm going to kind of twitch it up. I'm going to keep it out of the weed beds. So you just want to feel it through cover. You want to get it out of, you know, try not to let it get bogged down and stuff. But for the most part, you just kind of fish your situation and there's really no wrong way to work it. I don't I think I will say I hardly ever just cast and wind. It's just not my style. Right, right. <laughs> work, I was going to say that, that, yeah, of all the techniques, when I say, you know, there's really not a wrong way that, you know, if you're, that might not be the most productive way, but, but um, I know one of the first things I watched on your show was your video on uh, Ned Rig Retrieves back when you used to do like the five minute uh, segments and yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um I remember I, I, to this day, I, I go through those, uh, those different retrieves every time I'm Ned Rig fishing. Um, I'll start with the, you know, the, the hop and swim and hop and swim, and I'll just work my way through those until I find what the fish want. And, um, that has been my Ned Rig, you know, like go to for the longest time is just to. Ned to, would be proud, man. That's, that's <laughs> all information I've regurgitated, learning it from him. So that makes me very happy. Always <laughs> yes. No. And then I, you know, for those of you who are, who haven't seen that, uh, it's still out there, I'm sure. Right. Uh, yeah, of course uh, I would never delete that. <laughs> Cause uh, that's worth its weight in gold. As far as I'm concerned, uh, that helped me, uh, you know, go from not understanding the net rig at all to it being one of my go-to baits, you know, more often than not. So uh, definitely if you have the time, go check that out. But I think those, the same techniques that we use for Ned Rigger trees, I think would work kind of universally uh, for the most part for, for these ultralight, uh, the mule jigs and, and those kind of things as well, because um, it's just uh, kind of a natural uh, presentation depending on the different ways you do it. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you, if you, if you like bass fishing and, and a huge part of the reason you like bass fishing is the way you fish for them, right? There, there's a reason I think so many people gravitate towards bass it's the way you fish for them. You know, it's, it's not a waiting game. You're actively fishing. You've got different things to figure out and break down. You can use your chatterbait. You can use your topwater. You can, you know, you have to listen to the fish. Those things can also be the case for other species, including panfish. We just haven't necessarily thought that way before. I think a lot of us, when we think bluegill, we think bobber and a worm. And right. Nothing wrong with that, but it doesn't have to be that. And I've had, a lot of success recently utilizing my micro bass fishing style of what of style of angling. And I mean, I, like I said before, I, I have a lot more fun doing it. It is just, it's fun. <laughs> right. No. And I, I think that's a huge misconception in, in fishing in general is a lot of times when people, when you mentioned uh, that, you know, I love to fish and people are like, Oh man, I can't stand that. Just sitting watching a bobber waiting for oh, it. I'm, like, yeah. I'm like, that's not fishing. You know, that, you know, come fishing with me. I will show you that that's not what I do. I, I can't remember the last time I used a bobber. Not like you said, nothing against that. And there's times where it's fun. And, um, oh, but just to be clear, a float with a jig under it or a float and fly 
is not the same as bobber fishing with a worm at all. And I've been getting addicted to like slip float rigs and peg float rigs. And like, this is like a huge part of my, my thing now is fishing under a float. So just to be clear, floats are awesome. Watching those things bob once or twice and then rocket launch under. <laughs> I mean, it's fun, but again, it's like when you rig it the right way and you fish the right way, you can, you can fish a float and fly actively like bass fishing like a lot of people float and fly for bass right it's not right. it's not cast it out there crack open a beer and wait like it's you can find that area there's positioning in and you can actively fish that thing and then when that thing goes under your heart skips a beat it's mother's day is around the corner find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from blue nile from timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones blue nile has something she'll adore Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. It's cool. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I 100% agree. And, and, and the cool thing about the float and fly technique, what I've learned is, you know, when you're really matching that float to the weight of the, uh, you know, your jig, so that you know that the jig is being presented perfectly vertically and, and the float is just the right weight. So you, it, it's just presenting it like perfectly. And like you said, when it, when it just, you know, you see it nibble, 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 boom, it's, it's just a cool thing. And I, the first, my first experience with that, I was actually at a lake trout fishing yeah. and we were friggin' casting these uh, inline spinners and stuff. And, um, hadn't caught a thing. And this old guy comes down the hill with this like 10 foot rod. Right. And it, we're laughing at him. Cause I, I thought it was like a surf fishing rod. I was like, what the heck is he doing? And he had this float fly rig. And the reason why he had a 10 foot rod is cause he had like a five foot leader or something, you know, a really long leader. And he cast that thing out and it was, he had his limit in like 10 casts, you know, no, it was literally. And then he was cool enough to, I was like, you got to tell me what you're doing. And he showed me and he actually even gave me, he was using a wooden bobber. It was, uh, huh. um, he, I don't know if he made it himself, but he's like, Oh, here. And he gave me one and I was throwing it on a real, uh, probably a, a six foot rod, but it, it still worked just as good. And, you know, that was one of the coolest trout experiences I had. Um, so I definitely love that technique. And, um, I remember watching a tactical bassin episode on it where they were talking about, uh, matching the weight of the jig to the, the, the particular float and how in-depth and, um, you know, really specific you can get with that. You know, I had brought up the fact that someday I may retire and become some old man. That guy you just explained is me, except 40 years later. Like, that's <laughs> all I want from life is to be able to go out there, show up the, the youngsters, and then give them the setup I'm using and say, here, you remember this now. <laughs> That's me in four years, guaranteed. <laughs> I I hope that is me too, and because uh, I will never forget that day. And uh, I, you know, I wish I know, knew that guy's name because he didn't really stick around long after that. He just went and you know did his thing. He went but, and ate his trout, man. <laughs> yep. So, um, yeah, no. All right. Well, uh, we're getting on near an hour, or we're over an hour now. Oh, look at that. Um, uh, so I, I wanted to give you a chance. I know, like you said, there there's quite a few new um, uh, options for mule jigs. Uh, you covered them briefly. The the minnow, the bug looks like 
butter for me during Mayfly season. To me, I, I'm just saying, I think that's going to be killer. So I'm looking forward to trying that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, um, so now I've at this time while we're filming this, um, I got a one eightieth through three thirty second ounce mule jigs. I've got a couple of floats, um, which pair well with, with the jigs you talked about pairing things. Well, um, 0.75 inch is good for like rigging it peg style on some of the real small stuff. And then a 1.25 inch, which works pretty darn well in a slip float and you can run the jigs under that. Um, and then I've got the plastics and, and as I mentioned with the plastic, it's, it's like my main point of differentiation here is the fact that these are small plastics that are offered in that high stretch material. So again, if you're watching the YouTube version of this, I will stretch one out for you here real quick. Um, but essentially kind of, kind of cool, huh? 1.6 inches and, you know, again, get the durability factor. But, um, so I've got a, a 2.8 inch donkey tail, which is like a small swim bait, 1.6 inch donkey tail junior, which is the, the just a smaller version of that. Um, the horsefly, as you mentioned, it's like a insect larva imitator and it's 1.5 inches roughly. And then I've got the mule minnow lineup, which is my newest um, part of the lineup. And that's really just a minnow profile. Um, and it is offered in three sizes, 1.2 inch, 2.2 inch and 3.2 inch. And, you know, as I continue to, to grow and, and learn, I'm, I'm hoping to have, you know, some more things to kind of round out the system. But right now, this is kind of where we're at. Started this company in November 2019. And obviously, it was pretty good timing to start a, a, an e-commerce business, given COVID happened a few months later. But um, it's been such a good learning experience. And, you know, the, the most rewarding thing is getting the, the emails and the notes on Instagram and stuff, seeing what people are catching and I really, really love seeing it because I've, I've seen everything from carp to rock bass to big jumbo pumpkin seed to smallmouth bass. And shoot, I got a seven pound, there was a 7.1 pound bass, largemouth caught in Georgia just the other day on the donkey tail. So um, it's so much fun and it is so rewarding to see something that was just an idea in my noggin kind of coming to life and helping anglers. So um, certainly appreciate you guys checking it out. It's all Available at MuleFishing.com, M-U-L-E Fishing.com. I would certainly appreciate you guys taking a look. Yeah, we'll definitely include that in the show notes below, guys. So if you want to check it out, um, uh, I will have links to that as well in the show notes. So be sure and uh, take a peek. Um, and then Online Outdoorsman, how, um, how is that going? Is that um, anything new on the horizon for that or same old just I know you've, uh, you, the, lately it seems like you, you, you did a lot more product reviews kind of going over different um, uh, ultralight rods and stuff like that. And that was really beneficial to me because it really showed me the options that are out there and, you know, you know, what. Yeah, I, I honestly, what I would envision from my channel is just continuing to have fun with, with lighter line gear, um, ultralight specifically. But, you know, there's going to be some bass fishing sprinkled in too, because that's still a huge part of who I am as an angler. And, um, but one of the things that I'm really having fun with now is doing more species specific, um, like journeys as an angler. Like I, I, I talked about crappie and how my goal this summer is to, to learn more about crappie. And so I'm going to, I'm going to do series on different species. And so I'm kind of, uh, I started a, a bluegill series last year and I think we'll probably wrap that up here soon. Um, and, uh, you guys can check out the channel and you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about there, but there's, some pretty cool stuff in the works right now. 
Um, but the crappie is kind of my focus. And then I think we'll probably do a smallmouth series at some point, maybe even a pike Ooh. series. So I'm really, I'm focused right now on just becoming the best dang multi-species angler I can become. And I want to help share that experience with people so I can help tell, you know, show case different species and why they're all kind of cool in their own way. No, I think that's great because, you know, like you said, you know, so often the, our industry focuses so much on bass and there's really so much more out there. And um, I love bass as much as the next guy, but man, I'll tell you, when I have discovered some of these new species to me, you know, like obviously they're not new, they've been around for hundred years, but the new species to me, I'm like, why am I so focused on one thing? And I think Michigan really exposed that, you know, like I said, I'm from Kansas originally and we've got a lot less water and a lot less possibilities, I would say, you know, I look back and I, that's probably not truly the case, but, but now that I've come up to Michigan, we've got so much water and so much population density of certain species. I'm learning that I really need to, to start to focus on some of this other stuff. And I wish I could go back to Kansas and spend a few days chasing <laughs> white bass and hybrid white, white bass stripers, wipers. Wipers, yeah. I've never appreciated those the way I should have because <laughs> it freaking it was just beautiful down there. We could catch fish as much as we wanted. And I was too dang focused on black bass. I should have focused on the other ones. Oh, well. <laughs> Live and learn, right? Right. Live and learn, man. Live and learn. All right, man. Well, um, and where can folks find Online Outdoorsman? I know. Uh, Online Outdoorsman on all the social media. Just uh, type that in and you'll find me. YouTube is kind of where I spend the majority of my focus and certainly would enjoy you taking a look. If it's right for you, go ahead and click subscribe. If you think I'm a weirdo, that's totally fine too. You don't have to click subscribe. <laughs> that's part of the draw to me, man. <laughs> There's nobody forcing you. You just watch, watch it if you like it. Don't worry about it if you don't. Cool, man. Well, uh, Ethan, thanks again so much for coming on. Uh, definitely a ton of great information. Um, I can't wait to see uh, the directions uh, that you take uh, mule, dig, uh, mule fishing and also where online outdoorsman goes because, uh, you know, both I think are tremendous uh, products. And, uh, you know, I, I've been a fan for a long time. Like I said, back back when you were doing the five minute uh, fish tips. And uh, so I, I'm just uh, love watching where, how far you've come and I'm excited for, to see where, where you go from here. So. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Sean. Thanks for, for having me and letting me ramble so much. No problem. No, I, I love that part. You know, the more information I can cram into my brain about fishing, the better. So I, I, I will go down rabbit holes all day long. So. <laughs> right on. <laughs> all right, man. Well, thank you again so much, uh, guys. Thanks for listening. Uh, be sure to check out the show notes, the links in the show notes, uh, to check out Ethan and all the, everything he has to offer. And, um, until next time, this has been Bass Fishing for News, where we bring you the techniques, the tricks, and the tips to help you rip more lips. Have a good night, guys. Thanks for tuning in to another killer episode here on Paddle and Fin. Be sure to drop a five-star rating, a thumbs up, or smash that subscribe button on any platform you're listening in on. Be sure to check us out on Waypoint TV, waypointtv.com. Make sure you sign up for the Fantasy Kayak Fishing League at paddleandfin.com forward slash fantasy. You could support this show through Patreon, patreon.com forward slash paddleandfin. Don't forget to check out the website paddleandfin.com. Catch us on YouTube. If you got a question, comment, or want to see a future guest on the show, be sure to email us at paddleandfin at gmail.com. Shout out to our show supporters, Yak Gadget. 
You can check out all the fine kayak accessories at yakgadget.com. Pelican Professional. For all your cases, coolers, and lighting needs, go to pelican.com. Rocktown Adventures, your Midwest premier paddle sports destination. Go to rocktownadventures.com. Eastport Marina, the beautiful destination on Dale Hollow Lake. If you're looking for lodging, kayaks, kayak accessories, or anything fishing related on the beautiful Dale Hollow Lake, go to eastport.info. The Jig Masters Jigs. When in doubt, get the jig out. Go to jigmasters.com and fill your tackle boxes today. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.